The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with first-time guest Linda Hutchison of Hutchison Law in Columbia, Maryland. Linda specializes in uh, patents and intellectual property. Uh, the IP part of that is extremely interesting to me, so we're going to take a deep dive into all of this. But Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Thank you for coming on. I, uh, we're we're going to have you on ideation soon as well, which is going to be very cool because you'll have a bunch of people asking you questions instead of just me. Yeah, uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward for, to both instances. Well, there you go. You're already here, so you can practice for the other. Uh, fill people in on who you are and what your practice uh, focuses on, please. Okay. As you said, my name is Linda Hutchison. I own Hutchison Law, where I practice intellectual property law. So most of my clients are people who are interested in celebrating their creativity and then using that as a strategic advantage. Um, frequently, they want to say they want to protect that strategic advantage. So they talk with me and I help them navigate different processes, navigate the process to protect their invention with a patent, to protect their rights in their trademarks and to protect their rights in their copyrightable subject matter. Cool. Uh, how did you get started in this? Well, actually, I was an engineer um, coming out of college. I'm a chemical engineer. And um, then uh, with that background in in my late 30s, I decided to go to law school. And with that kind of background, I could go into pat- patent law after I passed the patent bar. And so I, um, from there, just developed uh, trademark work as well and copyright work in addition to patent work. Cool. Very cool. So let's let's get into the different types of IP. So uh, I'm just going to throw them out and um, take them one at a time. Let's let's start with trademarks. All right, trademarks are what I call the beacon for your consumers to find you. So um, under the law, it's, rec- it's identified as a a visual, you know, a word or a mark that um, identifies you as a source of goods or services. But to me, it's more than that. It is this beacon that is going to tell the consumers when they're looking at a shelf with a bunch of the same goods or goods similar to what you're selling, they're going to know to go to yours because of that trademark. Cool. And um, give, give, give me a couple of, of examples, preferably from uh, from companies that you've worked with locally. So maybe we actually know them. Well, I, I don't really delve into who my clients are, but oh, okay. um, That's I, can, fine. I, yeah, <laughs> I can tell you, you know, trademark. So Starbucks is the is a is a great trademark. Um, you know, it's the circle that has to do with the, and the green mermaid. That's that's a wonderful trademark, as well as the word Starbucks. So that's a, um, a trademark. I myself as a trademark have a polar bear and that. You know, you want your beacon, you know, when you have someone, when you want your consumers to come to you and not accidentally to go to somebody else, you want that beacon to be unique. So I have a polar bear as a trademark. 
Oh, well, I have something we need to talk about offline then. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so copyrights, I mean, you know, I, I put a copyright on pretty much anything. I, I post anything I write, uh, one, uh, one of the major publications, uh, recently asked me to start contributing and, uh, part of the agreement they wanted me to sign was that I would give them copyright to my material. And I said, you know, it's a deal killer. Uh, cause you know, you aren't paying me to write. And even if you were, you know, Wiley paid me to write a book and I still retain the copyright. Um, and, uh, they came back and they took that clause out, but where, where, where does it apply? And, and how do you, you actually do it? So it's, I guess, enforceable. Well, and copyright, what's interesting about copyright is as soon as you developed that content um, that you were talking about, you had copyright in that subject matter. And what it what it gives to you is the ability to tell, uh, you know, to to tell somebody, hey, I think, you you know, I think you copied my stuff. You can't use it and you can and you, um, you know, can get payment for that kind of copying. What's interesting about what your, your, your contract is that they really were potentially, as you know, because you, you fought against it, really were potentially taking quite a lot of rights away from you because copyright isn't just copying, you know, isn't just the right to stop others from copying your stuff. It's the, it's the right to stop others from making derivative works. It's the right to stop others from displaying it. Like if they took your materials and put it on, you know, and, and wanted to talk about it at a convention. So if you really were very smart in controlling your rights in your copyrightable subject matter. Cool. And does it apply just to uh, the written word? How do, you know, if I'm doing YouTube videos, can I copyright those? Yes. So, and the copyright occurs as soon as you make that thing or that, you know, the copyrightable subject matter is captured. That's the legal term, captured in tangible medium. So as soon as someone makes that video, as soon as you wrote that content, you had copyrights in that material. If you want to sue somebody, then you have to get, you know, seek registration of the copyright. And also, you know, we may be talking about licensing later. If you have a number, a federal number associated with it, that might be helpful when you're licensing. But um, as soon as you take that, that create that, um, create, create that uh, subject matter, you have copyrights it. Now, what kind of, what kind of subject matter? That's what your question was. What kind of subject matter? Sure. It's the written word, such as books, but it's also movies and videos and, and poems. And it's also choreographed choreographed uh, performances, and it's also architecture, you know, architectural drawings and the, and the visual of the architecture itself. So there's a bunch of different things that copyrights apply to. Cool. Um, patents. All right. So patents are an, interesting, are an interesting right because it's a right that stops, that gives you the right to stop others from making, using, or selling your patented invention. If someone if someone comes up with an invention and they say I want to I want to seek a patent for this the the patent is going to if if it, if they end up getting a patent for it and there's a laborious process to go through to potentially get a patent for this invention if they get it they have this right to stop others from making using or selling the invention for 20 years from the filing date 
And, and that can be very helpful in terms of controlling market. A lot of people say, okay, I'm gonna, I am gonna own this market where my invention is or in controlling it in terms of licensing or, or selling the invention to others. Okay. Uh, final one would be trade secrets. Yeah, I find trade secrets are really fascinating. I mean, there's some famous ones out there like the Coca-Cola um, uh, secret recipe, yeah. recipe, thank you. And also the KFC secret recipe. These are things that as a secret provide an economic advantage to that company. And as soon as that secret is let out, then that company basically doesn't have that economic advantage anymore. So, and, it, and so those companies are, are putting efforts in place or controls in place to make sure that this this you know advantage remains a secret. Okay, cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll return with Linda right after this. You can find her at Hutchison, which is Hutch I S O N Patents Plural dot com, and uh, you can also find her on LinkedIn. We'll return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Linda Hutchison of Hutchison Law. Uh, find Linda on LinkedIn. Again, it's H-U-T-C-I-S-O-N, uh, Linda Hutchison. Uh, she she lives and works here in beautiful downtown Columbia, Maryland, which is the intellectual center of the universe. And uh, we're going to talk about intellectual property. So that that's very apropos. Yes. <laughs> So IP as a business asset. Um, I mean, I, I I only own intellectual property. I'm a writer. I'm a consultant. Uh, um, I'm I'm helping companies, you know, develop marketing plans. So um, we'll get into whether or not that's IP. But but as a business asset, what does that entail? Well, one of the things when we're talking about business assets, I want people to think about the value of their intellectual property. For instance, when they're when they're thinking about the value of their business, you know, frequently people think about their the supplies that are sitting in a warehouse, or they'll think about um, you know the stuff that there's you know some tangible thing that they're selling. But intellectual property has a value, and if you're thinking about selling your business or you're thinking about valuing your business you need to consider the value of intellectual property. For instance, I did a, a, a study on um, consulting firms and trying to identify of the intellectual property, which one provided value uh, to consulting firms, if any at all. Well, frequently, in a, for instance, in a management consulting firm, when you're, when, you're, when you're responsible for doing knowledge transfer, you know, people are relying on you because you have expertise and they wanna hear it and they wanna learn from it. You know, people are coming to coming to you. They're not coming to you necessarily for a patented invention. They're not necessarily coming to you for um, your materials, although those are very valuable. And so, you know, potentially they are coming to you for materials as you as you just talked about. But frequently, when it comes to service organizations, a trademark has a serious amount of value because that that trademark is, like I said before, it is going to be that beacon that draws your consumers to you because. They've heard about you. And so your reputation and your goodwill is associated with that trademark. And so there's a significant amount of value in trademark. Similarly with franchises, I mean, one of the biggest parts of a franchise is the trademark. And so what I want to do is really you know, start that conversation of recognizing that all the time and money we put into our businesses 
some time and money needs to be put into our intellectual property and protecting it. Cool. So let's let's um, let's talk about what constitutes IP. So, I mean, I have several books out. I'm assuming that kind of qualifies. But what yes. about things like processes? If the process, you know, abstract things or things that are in the air, there really isn't anything of these intellectual property, um, you know, that we recognize that's going to protect something that's that's not somehow written somewhere. Um, so a business method, for instance, you, if you write it down and, and, and you're going to be using that to communicate with us or others or it's going to be part of a deliverable, that is copyrightable subject matter. I mean, that's your original creative work and it has value to your business as one of your intellectual property assets. And you may, you may get more value by licensing it or maybe even assigning it, which is transferring ownership of it. But that could, you know, so that provides value to you and it could provide more value as an offering. Business methods are tough to get patents for, although there are, um, it is recognized as potential uh, patentable subject matter. It's just very difficult because it's, you know, there's that abstract thing. Patents aren't, aren't uh, meant for uh, abstract inventions or abstract ideas. You have to be able to bring it down to, to uh, operationalize it. And it's, and so I tend to focus on the copyright when it comes to business methods. Okay. I was, I was curious because I, I am a student of business history too. And business strategy really didn't come into the uh, arena until the late eighties when uh, uh, Bruce Henderson at Boston consulting group started applying strategic theory to business. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Bain and company and McKinsey and Michael Porter and a bunch of other people started doing the same thing, but they all had a different slant on it. So I wasn't sure if there were, you know, processes that they had uh, originated and implemented through clients that were patentable or simply copyrightable. Yeah, at the very least, copyrightable could be patentable. And for sure, there's going to be the trademark value uh, make sure, you know, those firms, I'm sure, associate, put their trademark on there so that they, that the goodwill associated with, um, you know, their consumers' use of those processes, you know, built up and then and then continue to grow their consumer base. Okay. So um, give me, give me some other examples, if you could, of, of IP. Yeah. So when we're, for instance, we talked earlier about you know, the, you know, the value of IP to a business. And we talked earlier about trade secrets. Trade secrets really can be very valuable to a business because just because of the mystique. I mean, people want to know what's in the KFC uh, recipe. People want to know what's in the Coca-Cola recipe. So if you're interested in, in kind of leveraging this mystique concept, I mean, trade secrets can be very valuable. And you just have to identify what are you willing to put... Con- you know, in place as controls to keep something secret. And you, if you say, oh, I have a proprietary um, method of building this widget, and then everyone knows about it, it's, it's not a trade secret. It's just something that you feel is special. Um, so you have to decide how you want to leverage your creativity to, to bring in consumers and make money for your business. Okay. So I used to watch Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. So I understand that there are different types of patents. What what are these and where do they apply? 
Well, there's there's utility patents, and those are basically for any kind of uh, item of man, you know, something that you create and manufacture, um, and and processes like we talked about. There's also the plant patents, which are for novel, new, and different um, plants. And then there's also design patents, and those are really interesting and maybe underutilized because they provide patent protection, not as not as long as a utility patent, which is 20 years, it's, it's 14 years, but they pro provide that patent protection, which is you can stop others from making, using, or selling your invention for the design of something that functions. Um, so the, the, the common example for um, is, if you think about um, a sign that sits outside of a restaurant, you know, how that, how that sign, um, functions could be patentable subject matter, but also the way that that functioning sign looks could be worthy of a design patent if it's if it's if it's novel in that element. Okay, so I'm trying. So, like the Starbucks one, that that's a a design that I recognize, but it's not like the uh, you know the shape of the sign. So I have seen some unique signs that for, especially for restaurants that are on the sidewalk in front yes. of theirs. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a geometric usually uh, or always. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's lopsided. Uh, other times, you know, like equilateral, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're telling me that is patentable. Right. Yeah, potentially as a design patent. So we're, again, we're talking about those signs that are on sidewalks outside of a restaurant saying, come in, come inside, you know, the, here's the, or here's the menu, whatever, depending upon the design of the function of the functioning element, it could be a patentable subject matter. Again, it's, it's, it's the design of it though. It's not the, the function that goes to utility patents, but it's the design of it. And frequently people will balance or they'll figure out the timing of things you know should i get a design patent first or go for a design patent first if this is a a um, look and a, an appearance that isn't anywhere else and then when that is exhausted you know use copyright protection for it so there there actually is some strategy involved with how you could potentially use two different intellectual property protections for designs of things that function cool so, um, so when somebody has an issue, uh, well, we'll get, we'll get in this in the next one. We're going to talk about protecting it. Um, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Linda Hutchison, uh, Hutchison Law, H-U-T-C-I-S-O-N, uh, patents, plural, dot com. And uh, we'll return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Linda Hutchison of Hutchison Law. We're talking about various aspects of intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, patents, uh, trade secrets. Oh, my. Uh, all neat stuff. Um, this is cool. Thank you for being here. So let's, okay. let's, let's talk about protecting your IP. Um, I'm assuming there's, there's a ton of ways to do so because you've gone through all this process to, you know, get a copyright, trademark, uh, patent, whatever. Right. And each one of those is actually the protection. The getting of the thing is the protection. So for instance, you have a trademark, you're using it 
under the under what's called common law, you have rights um, or priority rights if nobody else has already started using a mark like that where you're using the mark, so geographically. But if you want to be able to uh, stop others from using your mark who are subsequent users of your mark nationally, you can seek registration at the United States Patent and Trademark Office. You can also seek it at the state level as well. Um, but when you seek registration at the at the national level, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, you get the presumption that you're the priority user, that if someone else is has used the mark previously, they have to overcome that presumption. And, and again, you get it, you get the national rights. With respect to patents, that itself is similarly to trademark registration, that is the protection. So you have this invention. And what's interesting about patents is you're not getting the rights until you get the patent. And the patent process, as I mentioned, the word laborious, it is a long process generally. Um, so, you know, it can be a, a few years, uh, if not more. So um, what happens is you go through the process of filing your patent application, and then the United States Patent and Trademark Office says, we're not gonna give you a patent, someone else did this already. Somebody else knows about this already, invented something, you know, an obvious version of this already. And then, you know, there's back and forth, no, 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 our, our invention is actually unique. It's never been done before. And so you have to amend the claims and there's this back and forth, back and forth. And then ideally you end up with claims that are <clears throat> patentable and you get your patent and then, then you can enforce it and you can enforce it backwards to when, um, in time to when uh, people were on notice of the claims as, as how they ended up being. So if you did a lot of change in your claims before you ended up getting a, a patent, you, you may not be able to go backwards all the way to, to, to the publication date or anything. But yeah, I mean, so there's, there's things about that. And that's one of the concerns a lot of people have with filing a patent application because they say, wait a minute, is this going to be public? And I say, why, yes, it's going to be public. It is going to become a, you know, that application is going to publish. It's going to be a document that's going to be used uh, against other patent applicants. It's going to be a document that if someone searches on your, you know, your uh, topic, they're going to find it. So it's going to be public. And yet you won't have patent rights yet if, if you ever get them. Again, it's you got to get through that back and forth. And sometimes it doesn't work in your favor. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So that's a that's a challenge for people is that the the invention may not get protection until the patent occurs, or it may never get that kind of protection if a patent doesn't occur. So um, when people are going for a GSA schedule, I recommend that they do not do the process by themselves. May I assume that that advice would also apply going for a patent? Wouldn't you benefit from having an experienced patent attorney walk you through the process and do the negotiating for you rather than being beaten up by a patent clerk and not understanding what he or she might be saying that's debatable? Yeah, it's a very complicated process. And, and, and in fact, I'll have clients say, Linda, I don't understand the legalese or the way you're writing those claims, but this is what I'm trying to get across. And so there actually is a translation you know, a necessary translation, um, you know, the role that I can play as a, as a patent attorney. However, I would argue that that kind of help is helpful for the trademark registration process and the copyright registration process as well, because there are just some things that aren't things we learn in kindergarten. 
Um, you know, that's one of the things about intellectual property is when I introduce myself as an intellectual property attorney, people will start talking about trademarks and copyrights. But I recognize, and I know this, because I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't been practicing this law, that it's, it's much more complicated than, than, than what we think we know. Um, yeah. So it, it could be very helpful to have someone help you through all of those processes. Most things are more complicated than people think they are until they get started in them and they go, what the heck? Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially, you know, government documents, they, they are not written in precise English. Um, and I don't believe they're written to be understood, uh, but that's just me. So. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's true. I mean, the the idea of the, the trademark registration process is a government process. The patent process is a government process. The copyright registration process is a government process. And and that's true. I mean, I, I tell I tell people, I mean, think about what you had to do just to get your driver's license and, and you know, and add more levels of complexity. And remember that you're doing this because you want to make money for your business and you want to protect your strategic advantage, which is your creativity. And so, you know, you let, let's see if we can if we can get it, make it happen. Um, but it's complex. It is complex. Hmm. Cool. Um, so, how how do you suggest people get started? Let's let's just uh, take a a simpler one, a trademark issue. You've okay. developed a logo for your company. You're deploying it. Um, it, it, it's an easy one to pick on because so many business logos look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have somebody come into your office and they say, I want to want to get a, a, a trademark on this. What's your, what's your initial take? How, how do you start advising? Well, one of the first things I'm going to ask um, is have you searched on this anywhere? Um, a lot of times people will look through the internet to see if the, the, the words that are just, you know, sometimes there's words, sometimes it's just a graphic, but sometimes it's a combination of both. So we're kind of focusing on, for instance, the words. If the words are out there in the internet with, you know, with their goods and services. What's interesting, though, is the law doesn't need exactness. The law says if a similar or what could come off as a confusingly similar mark is out there with what could appear as related goods already in use, that that business that's using that mark has priority over you for when you use your mark. And if that person, if that business has chosen to register they, their mark, then they have national rights and they can come at you, come after you with a cease and desist letter. What's, what is, why is that a problem? Because you put all this money and you put all this effort and you put all this, this kind of joy in this mark. Like, oh, this is an awesome trademark. I love it. I love it. And now you're going to get, and now you could potentially get sued for it. So one of the first things you want to do is you do want to do that search. And the search is not only the internet, but you, you know, there's very comprehensive searches out there that will look for trade name, databases in all the in all the states or um, you know look for internet search but it'll also look for uh, use of the trademark on the web um, in more detail and the United States Patent and Trademark Office database. So a search of the United States Patent and Trademark Office database will help you know 
can I get my mark registered, which will give you that presumption of priority rights nationally, but it won't answer the question, can I use my mark without getting sued? Because not everybody seeks registration. So there's two questions. One is, are you vulnerable to being sued? And one is, can you protect your mark? Okay. And again, I, I think you would do better with adult supervision on this part <laughs> of the, uh, of the search rather than going out on your own going, no, no, mine's better than that. Um. Right. I mean, I, I prefer since, you know, I offer to my clients what I call it a cursory search of the USPTO database. And that helps to answer that question. Oh, do you think it's going to be, do you think it's going to be, um, uh, is it registrable? You know, has somebody registered a similar mark in related, in related industries? However, I'm going to outsource what I call the comprehensive search and then do analysis of that because that is a huge search and if for instance if you're about to start a new brand that's the kind of search you want because you're putting all this effort into and you're starting something new and you don't want to be sued just because uh because of your trademark so you want that comprehensive search that looks at the trade names and that looks at the common law use of um, and the internet use and the um, uspto database and the state trademark database and you want to know and Am I going to get sued? Is somebody out there using a similar mark for related, um, related, related goods and services? So I really recommend if people are thinking about doing a new brand or going through a brand change of some sort or, or starting their business, think, think about a comprehensive trademark search. And guess what? If you spend you know, you know, $1,000 or whatever total on all this effort, you're saving yourself a lot of money in the from in the future from being sued and the heartache of being sued. I mean, that's not fun. So a lot of great. Really so, yeah. You did say you outsource that part. So there right. are firms out there that specialize in these kinds of searches for attorneys or companies. Right. Right. So the, the trademark search firms, they, they can really access all <laughs> these different databases and they, they can do it efficiently and um, you know, then my role is to look at their results and say, okay, that one does seem like it might overlap with my, what my client is thinking about look, looking at. Um, yeah, and they're very helpful, very helpful. Cool. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back and wrap this up. You're listening to AmTower Off Center on the Federal News Network. My guest is Linda Hutchison of Hutchison Law, Hutchison Patents, plural.com. Uh, Linda and I will be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my new friend, Linda Hutchison of Hutchison Law, and I'm having a really good time learning about, you know, the, the trademarks, copyrights, patents, trade secrets. All of this stuff is just really, really cool. So let's let's wrap up the the trademark side by the the registration process, because offline I am going to ask you about this. Okay, we talked about the patent process, and I made a point of saying it's, it's pretty complicated. The trademark process is a lot more complicated than people expect. And so I want to thank you for giving me the time to kind of talk about that a little bit. When people file for a trademark uh, registration, so people are seeking at the national level, they're, think, they're seeking that circle R and all the benefits that come with it. And what you need to do is, you know, you need to identify the trademark. But then you need to identify the goods and services associated with that. And that is a real struggle sometimes for clients. And especially if people are starting something new 
and they they haven't yet sold anything and they're they're filing as what's called intent to use they say well i don't you know i'm going to do all these i'm going to do all these different things and the thing is is that a trademark has to be associated with goods and services so there's a lot of back and forth in identifying what are the goods and the services that you're actually putting your mark on and then you file the application and then they're going to come back just like with the patents they're going to come back and say well someone's already using a similar mark on, re on, on related goods or registered registered a mark um, that's similar and for related goods or your trademark is descriptive that's another issue that um, comes up quite a bit where people say okay I'm selling I'm a coffee house I'm going to use an awesome trademark that's going to bring people to me and it's going to say coffee right on it and that's great from a marketing point of view that's what we learn you know from elementary school if you want to sell something you tell people what you're selling but that's not trademark law. Trademark law is saying, if you want to sell something, you have to make it so that the consumer knows where to find you. And that goes back again to my, that thing of a beacon. So you can get, you can get refused registration because your mark is descriptive. And then you have to go through different um, uh, obstacles to try to prove that your mark actually does draw consumers to you. So there, again, there's this potential for back and forth as well, which can be very frustrating to clients who think a trademark is so easy, I'm just gonna get trademark registration. And it's and it, it may not be as easy as you think it is. Okay, <clears throat> that's good to know. And I'm sure it will come up in our offline discussion too. <laughs> um, so how do you find yourself um, avoiding situations where you've infringed on somebody's patent, trademark, copyright? Okay, so we talked about trademark searches, and that is one of the best ways not only to find out if you can use your mark and get it registered, but that does answer the question, has, is someone now using this mark? And again, if someone is a priority user of a trademark, they can send you that cease and desist letter saying you have to stop using the mark. So you want to use that, you want to leverage that trademark search to provide you with as much information as you can about what marks are being used in your industry and just avoid those. I mean, again, this is one of those things in terms of intellectual property, we are celebrating our creativity. If you came up with a trademark and it's being used by somebody else, just pivot. I know that's, I know that's hard to hear, but pivot and think of something else. If you came up with one trademark, you've got the creativity to come up with another. So really leverage that search and then see if you can pivot. When it comes to patents, what's interesting is, is this idea of if I, use my invention am i going to get sued based on someone who has a patent already so, so similarly you want to perform a patent search there, sometimes people will perform a patent search to see if they can get a patent for their invention but it's also helpful to perform a type of patent search to see does someone else have an enforceable patent that they could use against me so when you're looking at other your competitors in your in your market you're going to see, you're going to search, do they have patents on their inventions? And then you're also going to see, are there other patented inventions out there that can be used um, and, and potentially for a patent infringement suit? And then as far as copyright goes, what's interesting about copyright is the suit of a copyright is based on you having access to somebody else's creativity that you then use. So it's kind of, it's, it's different than patents, whereas patents, if you get a patented invention, if you get a patent for your invention, you have the patent rights, um, it's going to, I'm sorry, it's going to be 
evaluated based on all types of inventions that are in the database. But copyrights is different because someone who's on one side of the country who comes up, up with like the, the exact same poem that you come up with on, your, on a different side of the country and you didn't have access, neither one of you had access to each other's creative thoughts or whatever, that means it's an original work of authorship. And it just happens to be similar to somebody else's. Whereas, whereas with, so with copyright infringement, you actually have to have to, have to prove that you had access to, to somebody else's creative work and then you copied it. But if you didn't have access to somebody else's creative work, then you're, then you don't really have to worry so much. Sometimes you might have to prove you didn't have access, but um, so the standard's a little bit different than with patents. Copyright search is, is not something that is really used frequently, again, because you don't have to prove whether or not it exists or not. You just have to prove whether or not you accessed somebody else's creative work on, you know, mindfully. Okay. Um, personal history. Uh, my first book, Government Marketing Best Practices, came out in 2005. I did uh, Amazon search and looked in bookstores. Oddly enough, there hadn't been any books on the government market written a decade prior to that book. Biggest market in the world, you'd figure there'd be a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. After that, there were several books that came out, not immediately, but within the next year or two, there were probably 10 or 15. Portions of my book verbatim showed up in more than one of those other books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was was that um, an actionable situation? Potentially. I mean, especially if you say verbatim. I mean, that's when you created your book and when you captured your original thoughts in this tangible medium, which is which is your book, you had copyrights in your subject matter. Again, if you wanted to sue somebody, you have to file for copyright registration, but you already have the copyrights. You actually do have the copyrights in your book as soon as you create, as soon as you put your creative talents into a tangible medium. So what happens? Someone copied it. There are are all these rights that you get with your copyrights. You you get to stop others um, without authorization. Other people cannot reproduce. And they cannot, um, you know, make derivative works from, as I said, they can display this stuff. So I'm, I, I, it's not a comfortable situation, what you're talking about. That does not sound okay. What happened? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I opted not to do anything about it just because it was annoying, but not horrible. I mean, it wasn't like chapters. It was like three or four paragraphs that were, you know, dead, dead copy, uh, from mine um and i have a pretty unique writing style sometimes people no. will say and this is on the internet people use this at defense all the time oh it's under fair use i was i, I copied it under fair use and there, and fair use you know I, I teach at the local community college and a lot of times people think you know in education people copy based on fair use fair use is this is this idea that you're only copying without authorization. Somebody else's stuff, only the amount, the only the small amount needed to make a point, okay? So one of the things when you're looking at a fair use defense, they're looking at, are you actually trying to make a point with it? Or are you copying, as, as it sounds like what you're saying, is it verbatim and, and, and as if it was the point of the author? And then the, you're looking at the quantity that's being copied. And, and, you're, and, and in your case, if, if it was, a really key point, you know, that's, that's really interesting because that's, that's not just some, that's not just copying background. 
that's copying some some key points. So these are um, things that people need to think about. Oh, I'm copying under fair use. Well, assume you're not, and then um, see if then and and try to avoid copying. One um, one of the other things that um, oh what was it? Well, we'll just stick we'll just stick with the with the fair use defense for now. But that's you know a lot of people bring that up, and it's oh the other thing I wanted to bring up attribution. People say this to me all the time. Well, I gave attribution to that person or I I'm like, I don't care. That doesn't have anything to do with copyright. Copyright has, you know, that's plagiarism. That's a whole different topic. Copyright has to do with whether or not you're copying somebody's work. And if you're copying, whether, and you're copying without authorization, you know, assume that you're infringing on somebody's copyright and then don't do it. So how do you not do it? Well, you get authorization to copy it or you, uh, for instance, in the fair use defense, you use a very small amount. So these are just things, you know, when people start saying, oh, I'm just going to copy somebody's work. Oh, I'm just going to infringe on somebody's patent. Oh, I'm just going to, just for a little bit, I'm going to borrow their trademark, blah, blah, blah. Just don't do it. Okay, cool. Uh, you got any final thoughts? Uh, that Again, I just want to reiterate, intellectual property, your intellectual property can provide you with an incredible strategic advantage. And so it's worth protecting. And I wish everybody success in doing that. Cool. Linda, thank you very much. Once again, Hutchison Law, uh, HutchisonPatents.com. You can find Linda on LinkedIn. I suggest that you do so. And again, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. Uh, I specialized over the last several years on helping companies, helping individuals build subject matter expert platforms, leveraging content and social networking, particularly LinkedIn, to build that platform. So if that resonates at all, please drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.